book report. It's a book report. It's a book report about a movie. Cause that makes sense. So, I think I want to take drugs with Gaspar Noe. I think that's how I want to start this. <laughs> yeah? Would he be like one of those people at the table if like... You know, you could have dinner with someone from history, like Gandhi, Hitler, all those people. Would he be someone like, if you had to choose someone to do a bunch of drugs with? Hmm. Well, I've only seen this film now, uh, but it was quite compelling. I think, like, anyone from history to take drugs with, though, that's that's a wide open table right there, because it's going to take a lot for you to compete with Hunter S. Thompson or yeah. like Jim Morrison, you know? I think those would be like Leonardo top da Vinci. Two. Da Vinci? Just slip some yeah, acid we'd... into his wine or something into his grappa. We'd barely speak the same language. I don't know. I don't know if I could like keep up with Da Vinci on an intellectual level on psychedelics. You know, let's say let's just say LSD. Um It'd be hilarious. Though, would be fun. If he was only like that for a few weeks out of the year. If, like, Da Vinci was just, like, a slovenly piece of shit for the whole year, <laughs> and then, like, every two weeks, he just was a miraculous conduit of genius mm. energy or something. Maybe he had to take, like, that was his two weeks on the the analog, the LSD analog that they had back then. What would that be? I don't know. Maybe he found, like, a button of mescaline on his travels through Persia or some shit. Some weird Chinese yeah. tea. Yeah, he just figured out like mescaline before, I don't know, before it was cool, before it was popularized. I <laughs> yeah. don't know. But but today, yeah, we're talking about a film by Gaspar Noé. And one of the reasons he's he's maybe not up there is this is the only film of his that I've seen. You have been talking to me about him for a while now though. Especially when we talk about like like just weird movies. You're always like Gaspar Noé. So you had said that I should see a Gaspar Noé film and I looked through his filmography and this is the one that I chose not realizing exactly that it would be so kind of similar to what we did last week because because last week we did um High Life mm -hmm. which was an abstract uncomfortable psychosexual film about sex and death at the edge of the void from a French director Right? Do you yeah. think that's like a fair, uh, a fair assessment of that? So we go from that to an abstract, uncomfortable, psychosexual film about sex and death at the edge of the void from an Argentinian director who just grew up in France. Mm -hmm. So huge difference. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know? a, just an ocean. Just a few buckets of salt water called the Atlantic. Well, Oh yeah, he did grow up in France though, so maybe there's something to that. You can also uh, yeah, attribute definitely. him to French cinema and I don't know. This film was very pornographic. It was very wild. We're um we're just going to assume that you've seen it if you're watching this, but if you haven't, I I think I'd give the same caveat as I gave last time. Like if you're okay with a really slow really weird movie that pushes boundaries and will make you uncomfortable, then I think you should see Enter the Void. Definitely. I mean, you should see his entire catalog if, if that's your thing. Um, he hasn't done this either without some pretty heavy and marked controversy. He's He's got a film called Irreversible, 
that, uh, you know, I like the way when you talk about films that are like irredeemable, you talk about films that are, I don't know, just mean spirited. Mm-hmm. That one is probably the one I would point to if I was going to level that type of criticism at him. However, I, I liked it and it's, in its weird, edgy, angsty way. Um, I don't know how... How do I say this? I don't know how... Hmm. You don't have Jeff to bail you out here. I know. I'm trying to f- figure <laughs> out how to say this. I don't know how popular he is among, f- like, cinema's cine- cinephiles and other critics in the United States but Mm. I know that he's made like quite a splash in Europe Um, and the reason that I was bringing him up and I pushed him I mean I've I've brought him up well before in our friendship but Mm -hmm. I I pushed him a little more when you started talking about Lars von Trier right because I was like there's almost like no way that you could get through Lars von Trier's filmography without at one point brushing up with Noe it's like this German-French connection, right? And I mean, that's not the connection. Let's just say they're European, and that is a connection. The connection is the films that they make. The connection is definitely the... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, visceral is a good word. Um, They're definitely both operating on this level of trying to shock you, in a sense. Yeah. And having, like, shock art be part of what they're doing. Um, pushing especially like sexual boundaries. Um, I can speak to Von Trier better than I can to No Way because I've only seen this film. Okay. Um, lots of violence as well. Lots of violence, incredibly, incredibly sexually explicit as well. Um, and I don't know. So he he has a quote that I found that was really interesting, apropos. Um, the way that he approaches like sexuality he says there is no line between art and pornography you can make art of anything you can make an experimental movie with that candle or with this tape recorder you can make a piece of art with a cat drinking milk you can make a piece of art with people having sex there is no line anything that is shot or reproduced in an unusual way is considered artistic or experimental um, and I really like this quote because it, it speaks to something that I've spoken about numerous times on this show, where it's like, if you, if your film doesn't have any of those Spielbergian, like, movie-movie elements, people are going to think it's weird. Yeah. And he actually considered, I was watching some interviews with him, he actually considered Into the Void, like, a, um, what's the word, like, like a commercial film. Oh. Which... <laughs> Which is a wild attribution. Um, so I, I don't know how that compares to his other movies. But one thing I will say is that movie you were just talking about as well. Um, what's it called? The one he did before this? Irreversible. I purposefully did not choose that one because I heard that there was like a 12-minute gratuitous anal rape scene. Yeah. And that was like, that was that speaks to your point about him being kind of a shockmeister mm-hmm. in that Von Trier kind of way where it's like, okay, how how much of you is doing this because you think it's legitimate art that has is saying something? And how much are you just trying to get a rise out of people? Yeah. And the interesting part about 
Gaspar and Von Trier and people like that is the borderline because you don't like where's that border like is a 12 minute anal rape scene art if it elicits something like really crazy within you who's to say who's to say where the value in that is yeah no definitely and it's uh, it's it's hard because they make it hard Von Trier and and Noah make it hard as directors to analyze their films just like normally because we have to talk about the shock jock kind of value to it you know Mm -hmm. what makes him different than someone like Howard Stern I mean I'm not comparing them to Howard Stern but you you get what I'm going for right are they just gimmicks or are they Um, like are they the the caricature of the the artist you know that's just so French so so you know just like (laughs) avant-garde like this is art. We put in all the sex, all the baguettes. Yeah. yeah. Everything, <laughs> everything. Sex, sex, sex is good. Exactly. <laughs> Just sucking back on all their cigarettes and shit. See, but this one, this movie doesn't didn't shock me. And maybe that's because I'm just like, I've seen what I've seen. Especially in the last few months, man. I saw High Life. I've seen Antichrist again. I saw uh, Titan, which is a wild fucking psychosexual horror death sex thing mm-hmm. once again by a French director. Jesus Christ, France. I know. Um, <laughs> sensing a theme here. But this one was more, I mean, it did have all those sexual elements, but like people having sex, it's like, whatever, that's fine. Uh, like I've seen, I've seen porn before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Having it in a movie is not that crazy to me. It's just not. Um, if it's like operating within telling a story and that's where we can start talking about, um, enter the void, right? Yeah. Well, at least I I will say the sex in this film, while it is, uh, heavy and large portions, (laughs) large healthful servings of sex, Mm. it's not like, I I don't want to use the word gratuitous in a negative sense. It does serve the plot as strange and as present as it as it is but it's uh i don't know it's it's not bad it doesn't offend me in any way and i don't think that like if you compared this to irreversible is what i'm saying you could definitely see how this one is a much softer tone when it presents the theme of sex yeah nothing nothing like impacted me on the sexual level quite like uh willem dafoe ejaculating blood and antichrist yeah or um, I don't know, maybe some stuff in. Well, there there is that a there's a there is an abortion scene in this movie. Uh, yeah. By the way, and it's like it's pretty intense. Um, it doesn't do the whole thing, but you see the you see the beginning of it, and you see the fucking bloody aftermath of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't pull punches in that regard. I feel like I was gonna make a point with that, but I trailed off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I feel like it, all of his movies, his entire filmography, along with Von Trier, is just like a massive, like trigger warning label, right? If we're gonna use the parlance of our times. Yeah, massive trigger warning for violence, trauma, of course, explicit sexual activities. If that kind of thing makes you uncomfortable. Or if you don't want to, if you don't want to see an abortion, then uh, maybe it's not the movie for you. Yeah. Also, really strong epilepsy warning. I was not ready for how fucking epileptic this movie was, Alex. Are you talking about when he's like blinking? 
I'm talking about a lot of things. So we can establish that it's this movie's strange in the sense that it's all first person. Yeah, it's the only movie that I think I've ever seen where the point of view is from a human soul, right? Yeah, no, definitely. That's what it is. It literally, like... Yeah. The main actor is barely in the film. I know. <laughs> the, you see the back of his head more than you see the front. There's, like, moments two hours in where I was like, I forgot what this guy looks like. Yeah. When did... when? So, before we get into the plot, I'm, I, I am curious. When did you first see this movie? Like... How did you get turned on to Gaspar? I'm glad you asked me this because I had a story ready. First, I have to give a shout out to a friend, long lost friend. I think he's getting married now. I don't know where he is, but whatever. Dustin, wherever you are. There was a time where me and my buddy Dustin would, we were like, we had nothing to do. We had nothing to show for life. Just out of (laughs) high school. Played Rush all the time on his Nintendo just got high, just hung out at his apartment in Fullerton. He loved movies, and I would be I would come over, and he'd always be watching a movie. I saw Straw Dogs for the first time, the original with uh, Dustin Dustin Hoffman in it, and mm-hmm. like after that, it just I would just come over all the time, and we'd just watch movies. Um, he showed me No Way, and first it was irreversible. And I was like, this movie is, like, disgusting. Wow, so he he threw you into the deep end, basically. Yeah, you know, but it's different when you're young and, like, barely 21, 22. I don't know. It just feels different when you watch movies like that. You feel like you're unwrapping something forbidden, you know? And you're like, you (laughs) step outside of the lane of mainstream Hollywood film. You you get even further out of the lane than films like P.T. Anderson and Quentin Tarantino, you know? You know, who have themselves been more brought into the mainstream of Hollywood. Oh, no. You're going weird mode here. Yeah, this is, like, really outside the box. Oh. What do you mean? I mean, in terms of films. Yeah, I'm agreeing Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, it's like you're, you're like, steering well clear of, like, you're in almost, like, a desolate place populated with very few people who would have seen this film. I miss that feeling. I do get it sometimes, though. You say you miss um, that feeling? Yeah, that feeling of, like, like I don't know, almost, like, breaking your cherry in terms of cinematic weirdness. Like, I was thinking about Mandy it, too. It's funny that, that you me. framed it this way. Mandy was great. I think I like that movie in a few ways. We'll, we'll have to talk about Mandy at some point, <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, but I one of the thoughts I had is, like, I wish I knew about this movie when it came out. Because that would have been the perfect time for me and my friends to take acid and watch it or take mushrooms and watch it. Because we we would do that around that time. Like a little post-high school. Um, We would watch like Pi a lot. Pi from the the first film from Aronofsky. Uh, Some like splatter movies and stuff. But but yeah. Holy Drug use too is a huge theme. I'll, I'll say in this film as well. I don't know if we mentioned that but... We have not mentioned that. Drug use features heavily in both this film and in Gaspar Noe's life and philosophy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, I was watching an interview with him just before this, actually. He was talking about, like, he's like, some of the greatest moments of my life are on drugs. Like, if you haven't done drugs, and I know some people in the room haven't, well, you should be sad about that. You should be ashamed <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'm not, not saying those are exact words, but the general message... Um, 
Not that you could tell by watching his movie that he likes drugs, you know? Yeah. It's a fucking wild one. I mean, so I guess it wasn't necessarily... It's different than a recommendation. More of a suggestion that you should watch it. But what did you think about it? Um, I thought it was incredibly interesting. I think uh, this goes back to what I was saying about like sort of missing the innocence is that it didn't shock me or like go too weird because I think I'm just like, like my weird meter has been broken. <laughs> hey, that's what we do here, right? That's what we do, man, here <laughs> in the real weirdos. <laughs> um, but I no, I thought it was really good. I thought, okay, so it starts off and I, I knew generally what to expect, kind of, right? I knew the synopsis, which is that a drug dealer in Tokyo dies and then his soul wanders around and has to, like, I don't know, figure something out, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I knew. Um, so the movie starts. A lot of visual abstractions when he smokes DMT. It has these really long, gorgeous, hallucinatory moments where yeah. the movie wants you to be on drugs when you watch it, by oh, the way. definitely. It definitely does. And I wasn't. Although I did pause it 10 minutes in. And I ate an edible. I was like, I'll, I'll go with you <laughs> to some of the way here. Um, <laughs> so I was like, mm, three hours, three hours of this. Well, I better strap in and strap on yeah. in some capacity. And then he meets up with his friend Alex. And they're talking about the Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's having that conversation where he tells you what happens when you die. And how you'll be drawn to all these lights. And if you can't transcend, this is the big key. If you can't transcend, then all of your like trauma and all the fears in your soul are going to be manifest yeah. as like your reality. And I was like, okay, he's telling me what's going to happen in the film. I'm in. This sounds awesome. <laughs> and then it did. He dies. Yeah. <clears throat> Spoilers. Uh, he's a drug dealer. He dies. And then he goes into like the, the, the spirit world where he's like going in and out of the experiences of his sister who lives with him. And they, ha- they have a weird relationship as well. Linda, um, yeah. And he's also flitting through temporality. And, and then the, like, there were moments later on where I was like, what the hell is happening? Oh, yeah. And then I had to think back and I was like, oh... This is maybe his spirit, like like manifesting reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it becomes borderline where it's hard to hard to translate. Yeah, so it's like exactly like you said. How like the Tibetan Book of the Dead? It's like before you can reincarnate, right? If you don't transcend the first time, you have to like experience or relive like your traumas. So obviously our main character dies at like towards the beginning of the film ish story. Right. And yeah. so you get this like I don't want to say you you go you don't go purely backwards. You don't purely rewind. It's a rewind, but in a insanely like you said variable way when it comes to temporality and things like that. Sometimes you're yeah. with Oscar, who's the main character. You're with like his his parents when they're meeting, and they're like beginning their relationship, and then you see the aftermath. Also, it does like 
it goes in reverse for Oscar and his experiences, but it still does follow the timeline, right? You see the aftermath of, of the craziness. Yeah, it's like a <clears throat> it's like a three act structure, essentially. Mm-hmm. The first act is very short. It sets up what the philosophy of the film is. So you really want to pay attention to that, because otherwise you might be horribly confused later. Um and then it you're right. I had kind of forgotten that it does dil- it goes into the past yeah. and it sets up like the whole dynamic of he and his sister and the trauma of their parents' car crash, which by the way, moments there are some moments when that crash comes in. I was not expecting it. Oh really? <laughs> it just blasted me in the face. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like boom, like rocked back in my chair. <laughs> um, but I was high too, so and I don't usually get high. Nice. Um and then it and then it does uh it goes into like what happens after he dies and follows and he just floats around and sometimes you're you're not thinking about the fact that you are looking through his soul's eyes because he doesn't have agency. No, not right? not at all. Not like a normal narrative protagonist or character would. He's dead, people. He's straight up dead. This is literally like Jesse said, his soul floating around kind of in in the void. In the void. Yeah, on the edge of the void here. Yeah, you get really wild stuff like when he enters the eyes, like he can enter people's eyes yeah, kind yeah, yeah, of, yeah. see through their eyes. And he enters into Mario, the Japanese guy who owns the club yeah. that his sister does stripping at, while he's fucking his sister. So it's basically him fucking his sister. And there is a really weird sexual charge between yeah. him and his sister. That's that's really interesting. That pays off mm-hmm. at the end in a wild way. I was going to say, <laughs> he gets real, real intimate. Just not in the way that you guys think, if you're listening, with his sister. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I was going to say, though, the only other film that I've seen kind of do this, like, point of view thing and play around with, like, what it would feel like to be in someone else's body that's interacting with people within your social circle. Being John Malkovich? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, (laughs) every time I, the first time I watched this movie, I had that feeling. The, The second time, though, definitely, I was like, man, I gotta tell Jesse about this, and I'm I'm sure you thought <laughs> the same thing at one point. You know what? I didn't. I the only time I thought about that is my brain making snap connections when you just said that, okay, and I was like, yeah. it has to be that, right? That's the right? only one I could think of. A little quirky movie in its own right, but not not quite as visually uh, exuberant. No, <laughs> <laughs> exuberant is one way to put it. The filmmaking here is. <clears throat> really unusual and interesting. Oh, it's always yeah. going through walls. It's floating above people a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's going like it's moving in very non-traditional ways. A lot of swirling motions, like just around and around. Um, very rarely will you get like a movie shot. Exactly. Right? It's like wispy, like a soul. It is wispy, like a soul. It also plays with. He plays with color in really wild ways. Um, yes. I mean, I was going to say Tokyo, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, what a brilliant idea to have this movie take place in Tokyo, right? 
there's a, a review or something that mentions like it's like a glut of the neon gaudiness of Tokyo, Tokyo, and I was like, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, Tokyo is almost like another character. It's like the character that envelops all other characters. It's such a unique space, such a unique place. Um, especially with when you have Gaspar Noe's visual style, which is in and of itself like full of gaudy neons and like yeah. flashing lights. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's that element. There definitely has to be maybe an epilepsy warning. Maybe we should put one, I guess. I guess you already said it, but yeah. This film is like very visually striking, but not just in the way that you think where it's like hues and vibrance like that. It's it's like it flashes at you, you know? Like it almost hurts your eyeballs a little bit. There were moments when he died was one of them, and it mm-hmm. comes back a couple times where it's just like white. The screen is white, and it's flashing very quickly at me. And I texted you. I was like, I have to shut my eyes when he dies. It was like, an, it's epilepsy incarnate. Um, <laughs> luckily, I will say those moments are like localized, right? It'll yeah. happen for like a solid minute to two minutes, and then it'll be gone, and it won't do it for an hour. So you mm-hmm. can kind of like figure out when it's happening and just like I don't know we'll go look at uh, your poetry book or something that's what <laughs> the kids look at these days right yeah <laughs> they read their um their tiktok poetry tiktok poetry um yeah where are we at filmmaking I was gonna ask you a question yeah I, I, I was curious like is this indicative of his style in general or is this a departure so this one is, I mean, this is kind of like his style in general as far as thematic elements go, but stylistically, this is the most like turned up movie I've I've seen him do because it involves like the use and the, I don't know, how do you say this? It, it centers around hallucinogenic drugs and DMT and, you know, really, really potent like visual inducing sensory like changing drugs so he really tries to like I don't want to say it's like he tries to put a drug trip on film right because everyone tries to do that and everyone has their own different styles and how they show a character is inebriated and there are a lot of cool and clever film techniques to do that but this film takes the theme of drug dealers and psychedelics and hallucinogenics and just like stretches it out over visually over the entire film. So it's different in that sense. Um, There are moments that are, I want to say it's much like slower than irreversible is. Okay. So irreversible is a little bit, faster but plays with time kind of in the same way but the but it has uh, more traditional photography right you're yes it's not point of view so you have that sort of like omniscient narrator of a camera exactly it's like there's so much motion blur right in this and like um what is the term depth of field Yes, and like There's really shallow depth of field and focus. Yeah, focus, a lot of out of focus. He spoke about that actually, not that, but the drug part um, in an interview. 
I'll try to paraphrase <clears throat> where he was saying that like a lot of the r visual representations of drug trips in cinematic history are garbage. They're mm. like really badly done. And I okay. completely agree. Um, really? And I think he did a really great job in this movie of making it feel like a drug trip and like doing that visually. Do you disagree? I do disagree. I would say with that. They're always crappy. I wouldn't say always. Often. Often. Okay. So they are often crappy, but I don't know. There are some that are like, I guess I'm proving your point in saying that when you see a good one, it sticks out, you know, maybe because it's so rare. So I'm thinking of all the clever and good ones that I've seen mm. before. What are the great cinematic drug trips? We have Fear and Loathing has some great ones, of course. Oh. Uh, goddamn reptile zoo. Slicing onion or slicing grapefruits, right? And yeah. Like while the Vietnam War is just blasting all right. over the walls. Like, <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, we did we did Scanner Darkly recently. That has some good ones. Yeah. Um, this one's gonna sound kind of cheesy, but I actually I liked Garden States. I like when Zach Braff took some like ecstasy at the party. I have no memory of that film, so I cannot comment. There's um, um, I think I think like it's a different thing, right, to have a character on a drug and have the movie be on a drug. Oh no, you know so like I mean? it speeds up. Like the movie plays okay. in an effect. It's a totally normal straight cut like movie movie movie. And okay. then when he takes the drugs, it like blurs and speeds time up and things like that. Cuz one of the things I hate most in like in cinema is when people who clearly don't know about drugs try to do drugs. And they're like, oh, man. Oh, it's so trippy, man. <laughs> what, dude? You know, like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody has ever sounded like that that I know of. <laughs> no, even the Alice in Wonderland shit, you know, like, I'm with you. I agree with you and Noe in that sense. Um, but, no, I think it was really well done. I mean, and, and you could tell that, like, with this film, he was probably just itching to be like, no, this is how it is supposed to look, right? Like, this is how it's supposed to look on film, and this is what we're going to do. So he just obsessed over that, probably. But there's this uh, critic that I wanted to, to quote. Yeah. Um, that says, if Lost in Translation is the film you'd make when all you know about Japan are the pampered press junkets and Shinjuku five-star hotels then Enter the Void is what you would make if you never got beyond the Rapungi pub crawl. And I feel yeah. like that's a good way to describe this this film. But because of Gaspar Noe's like filmmaking, it doesn't feel like a CD is a pub crawl. There's something elevated to the film. It feels dreamlike. Yeah. like The whole movie is like a strange dream. It's not like train spotting or like candy or like it doesn't try to show like the i mean it does it shows some grittiness to the drug world and the underbelly but i i don't feel like it's ever making like an overarching thematic moral message about drugs or about like the way you should live your life or things like that it's very no. very philosophical and focused on this like idea of death and like experience of the afterlife 
Yeah, I think there's a little bit of Gaspar's sort of philosophy in terms of drug use. Like I espoused to you earlier, um, through the main character, when he's like, whatever, it's a drug, just take it, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit of that, but I agree with you that it's definitely not the focus of the film, nor is like it's not intending to be about that. Um, mm-hmm. It is more, it is more obsessed with how trauma affects people and just this wild idea of reincarnation and how I don't know, like how a soul deals with its death and uh, inability to cope. Yeah, it's a drama, right? Like you would call it. It's like a drama. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that almost all of the dialogue was improvised. Oh. Gaspar, at the time, did not understand English very well, and he told the actors to improvise. Really? So it's like, I guess it's kind of an, uh, like a Terrence Malick vein there, where he tells you what the scene is uh-huh. and like what emotions to do and then just lets you play around and probably uses what he wants later. I'm not entirely certain. That's really interesting. It is really interesting because there's some really pointed dialogue about how we'll never leave each other. Um, the the two main characters after the accident, the, mm-hmm. the brother and sister. What are their names? Oscar and Linda. Linda. Yeah, yeah. We could talk about Linda too. She's wild. She's interesting. Yeah. She is definitely like a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe her. She's like I thought of Amy Adams and in not Inherent Vice. What's the master? Where it's like, I I feel like somehow secretly this is the most important character and I can't exactly say why. Okay. Does that make sense? You know, she's like, she's a fulcrum for a lot of the stuff that surrounds Oscar's being, I guess. And what we know about Oscar. Um, The dynamic is weird because he gets protective of her like a boyfriend or significant other would. Did she like chews on his ear and like licks his ear? (laughs) And they, they act like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, they There are do. times when she, like, is trying to make out with him, and he's like, nah. But then later, it's like he wants to. I'm going to chalk it up to French culture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex is writing that one off. Yeah, that one's Those just... fucking French. Oh, the sister, choose your ear. You have the yeah. baguettes. Exactly. It's my right. French accent, by the way. It's as good <laughs> as my other accents. Wee oui, wee, oui, baguettes. <laughs> but... Yeah, she's like, she's the most human element for me in the film. She's like the one that represents the most relatable sense of trauma because while Oscar is the main character and you are forced to see his point of view, I don't relate to getting shot up into a bathroom after failing to flush my drugs down the toilet, right? Right. But I do relate to like a life of like bitterness poverty not not because i've experienced these things myself that's not what i mean but but you're you're an empathetic human exactly so i can make connections personally more to her character than i can with most of the other ones um she's really important though i mean she's a prostitute right or um she's a strip dancer she's banging the club guy yeah i don't know if he owns it or what not sure doesn't matter there's a little like love dynamic between her and the alex character yeah we see that pay off at the end i mean his character kind of goes off the deep end as well like after the the drug bust and everything 
it kind of like breaks up apart their little social circle and he's like living yeah like in destitution before we jump over to him i want to linger on her for a minute longer i think like and i agree that she's she's like the relatable core although i do really like the alex character as well um but you see her there's this element of hope that the movie starts with right or or rather that the flashback starts with where he's been trying to get money to bring her to Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's like a dream come true. They've been separated for so long. And they have this deep connection because they were fostered and went through this horrific trauma together. Um, and she gets there and then it's all downhill from there. To the point where she's stripping. Uh, her brother dies. She gets pregnant from the one guy has an abortion. This, by the way, this moment I want to say... This is around where I was like, I thought maybe the second half of this movie would be different. Mm. I thought it was going to be him looking at other lives he could have. I thought it would get way more abstract than it did in a sense. But then I thought when she got pregnant the first time, I was like, with these two having the weird sexual dynamic that they do, the weirdest, most brilliant thing this movie could do in my opinion, is have him choose to be rebirthed as his sister's son. Uh And I was like so happy. I was so happy at the end that that's where Gaspar Noe went with it. (laughs) I was so happy. But, But then it's like, is that what happens though? Because... Okay, this is gonna get weird. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt. I will attempt to, I don't know, uh, (laughs) <laughs> D D D. Uh, I don't even know the word to use. <laughs> Distill. Um, so one of the things when he's alive is he's over at Alex's apartment, mm-hmm. and he's looking at this model, this insane city model that Alex's roommate has made. That's like a neon version of Tokyo, including this this iconic image of the Love Hotel, which is like I guess where everyone goes to have sex. And he says, well, can you just imagine this when it's like all your friends are inside just fucking and everyone's having a great time? And then at the very end of the movie, like two hours later, you're going through Tokyo in this wild, like cinematic way, except it's not Tokyo. It's the streets and buildings of this diorama, this psychedelic diorama that the roommate has constructed. And then you go up, it pans up to the Love Hotel, and then you see all the different characters that you've seen throughout the movie engaged in different, highly explicit sexual acts. One of them, the final one, is Alex and his sister, banging. Mm -hmm. And this is where you get the penis cam, or I guess it's a vagina cam. You see literally like like the camera's inside of a vagina, and you see the head of the penis thrusting in. Yes. And she's saying, come inside come inside and my mind is exploding at this moment at this time (laughs) because it's like she's it's a double meaning right she's saying come inside to alex like literally jizz inside my my body give me that pancake man batter (laughs) but she's also saying come inside to the soul of her brother that is like entering her watching but then you're like is it real because the fact that it is this this manifestation of 
something he said earlier in the film regarding all the people you know banging inside the love hotel is that just to even to bring it back is that like what alex was saying about the book of the dead right where you will manifest like things that your brain just comes up with or your mm -hmm. soul comes up with do you understand what I'm, i hope i hope this is at least mildly clear because it is very complicated oh yes so my theory is that at that point all the way up until that point until we see oscar being born after the fertilization of the like egg of the ovum we see him being like born to his mother however that isn't his mother i feel like in reality he has been incarnated and he has finally transcended after experiencing a glut of trauma and past experience and things like that and i feel like that's what the film was trying to do and distill down in you know the three hours that it was uh -huh. yeah so you're saying that he he was he was birthed by his sister he's reincarnated all the way up until that point it's just his memories playing back for him and like a like you said like a false reality filling in kind of until mm. boom then he's reincarnated mm. and then the film ends because at that point you're a totally new being you see when you're a soul you still are living as part of the past being, right? But in this idea of reincarnation, it's like the minute that that physical manifestation of a new conscience enters the, the world, you are like sucked out and you are a new new person with new and memories. And then it says the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with you. Uh... About the end. I think it has that hopeful note because otherwise it's like, what's the point? What was the point of all this? Yeah, I don't think it's just like a snuff, like an artsy snuff film, right? Like, I don't think he no. was trying to set out to just be like, ooh, let's show someone die on screen. No, I think I think almost everyone will have the reading that we have where he is reincarnated. But I think, I think it gets... Um, the movie plays an interesting trick on you or at least it does on me because it's fairly realistic and grounded in terms of like what he's experiencing as a soul if that's a statement i can make mm -hmm. where you go to these scenes and you're like okay this is the sister dealing with the trauma this is alex who you know the police are looking for him to for drug bust reasons yeah um, and he's living on the street and then the moment it turns is where you're all of a sudden in the back seat of the cab and she's like that thing back there is not my brother and i was like whoa what the hell is going on and then you see him as like a zombie version of himself kind of yeah and then and that's where i was like wait a minute i'm like losing the plot here and if i were on real drugs right now this would be fucking wild <laughs> um but then i was like oh my brain snapped back to that earlier moment where the where the ideas of the movie were put forth to me by Alex, right? He's like, and your brain will start manifesting things mm -hmm. or your soul will start manifesting things through fears, you know? Yeah. And then there are a few moments like that. Like he goes, he walks over and visits Alex in the alleyway and he's like, they burned you, man. And so you, you know, you're in psychedelic territory at that point. You're like, okay, we're off the deep end now. Yeah. So, I had a question written down for you, yeah. um, and I I like the way that this kind of dovetails 
what you were just saying into this question, but do you think that as artsy and avant-garde as this film is, do you think that it's like captivating or compelling in a way that could get, do you think like the general moviegoer could watch this film and not say it's necessarily good, but I don't know, not hate it? Uh... No. Okay. You think it's really out there? I think it's not super out there for me. It's 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 really great and interesting um and pretty mind-bending sometimes. It's not like it doesn't break your brain like the Holy Mountain does or something where it's like <laughs> the visual weirdness gets so redonkadonk that you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. It's very followable up until maybe the end, but as long as you like have some grounding in terms of the thematics at work, I think mm-hmm. it's fairly like it's not it's not an obtuse movie. It's really not. It, yeah. It's 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 touching on a lot of different things and not saying explicit things about them. It's more just exploring a life and a death and drug use and sexuality but that's like I, I don't know that's that's fine that that doesn't mean it's obtuse but it's i think for a general audience they'll say this movie was slow and kind of pointless and like kind of tasteless yeah apropos like sex <laughs> that's true i feel like so when, i, I want to go back to the idea of like just the shock value people like Von Trier and Noah and things like that. So I always think of Eggers. Um, His movies are disturbing and they are shocking, but he is much more subdued visually and much more tied to like a solid and traditional narrative in his films. Yeah. But they're disturbing and they're there. There's like a level of shock there, right? So, it's interesting because I don't want to cheapen what Noah has done by just calling him like a shock artist. But personally, if you're going to shock me, my own personal taste, I like the way that Eggers goes about it. It's a much more subtle presentation. Whereas I can see the Enter the Void and I can see why, okay, yeah, obviously this movie's going to be like fucking visually insane and it's going to be shocking. And when you pair that with shocking themes of sex and drugs and death, it it all kind of muddles for me. And that's like my biggest criticism of his film. Whereas something like The Lighthouse or The Witch, when it, I don't know, when it does its thing, it's, it's really strong and it's really potent because of the way that Eggers has set up the stories. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's so not I horror. Think I'm not saying no, it's horror. It just fits. This is into not this. horror. This is not a horror film. Yeah. Um, at all, I don't think. No. Maybe a tiny bit, but not like High Life was more of a horror film. Yeah. It had more of that feel to it. That sci-fi. Like. Like yeah. Just yeah, it just had something to it where it's like it was a little more horrifying. The the explicitness was just a little bit more explicit. This movie, I didn't I didn't feel like it trying to be a shock jock kind of movie. I really okay. didn't, other than like sex. But it's like I was like, whatever. This is a movie that's not rated by yeah. a French director or an Argentinian director. It's like, yeah, there's gonna be some sex in it. Whatever. Like that doesn't bother me. Sex in movies has, 
that's fine. It's whatever. It's like, you know, I'm not massively uncomfortable during sex scenes in films, <laughs> um, especially when they're like, like, this is not a Hollywood production. It's not like the romance music plays. This is like, and this is where I will draw a comparison to High Life is that it's really just like raw and animal. It's yeah. just like, it's like really not glorifying sex. It's exactly. just showing sex as it would happen if you fucking walked into a room and people were banging. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's not, it's not glamorous. There's no, there's not that music playing and like your hair is like perfectly lit. <laughs> you exactly, know? right. By, by a Hollywood cinematographer. It's just yeah. like, yeah. And that's, I think that's, the interesting or one of the most interesting parts of this film is it is very dreamlike and abstract in a sense but it's also feels it also feels very real at times like these are just real moments that would happen to real people mm-hmm. and it's not glorifying any of it it's just interested in showing it and interested in thinking about it yeah i i think that I don't know. It's so cool because it's like, it's not mundane, obviously. The death and the shooting of someone in a bathroom is not, you know, mundane. But the film isn't about like this crazy drug chase with Interpol spanning four or five countries all across Europe and they finally find (laughs) this kid in a bathroom. No, this is not Jack Ryan or something. So there's something to be said about films like that. And I think that, Noah has like I don't know I think it's necessary as someone who who loves to watch movies it's something that you got to step out of every once in a while and you just got to experience a film like this it'll help you contextualize the more traditional ones too yeah and it'll also be more interesting than a lot of those because you don't see things like it a lot it's like one of the things I said about high life is like it's hard to say it's enjoyable to watch while you're watching it it's not like like the way that you would would process Gone in sixty seconds. You're like, fuck yeah, this cheeseburger is tasty, you know. <laughs> it's more like at the end of it, you're like, holy shit, that was unusual and interesting. Yeah. And like that's always gonna. I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna say always gonna trump traditional narratives. I fucking love some traditional narratives, a ton of them actually. But yeah, I, I don't know. I I as I get older. I'm definitely more interested in watching movies like this, for sure. Like, give me left of center. Like, give me just weird, just weird me out. Like, make me feel things I haven't felt before using the language of cinema. (laughs) You know, this was a unique film. I'm glad I watched it. I'm going to watch his other movies. I'm really not looking forward to that 12-minute rape scene in in that one movie. Mm. Um, yeah. I already watched the last duel this year. I don't need another one. Uh, wait, did I mean I haven't seen that? I, I didn't see the last duel. You and Jeff. I did. mean, a lot of people enjoyed it. I did not. I know the I know the yeah. plot, so I know like. But do they show that? Um, without going into spoilers, in case the audience has not uh, watched it and want to, there is a rape, and you see it happen twice, and the second time is like even longer. Uh. And you're like, okay, really don't need to see this. Ridley Scott. You know, I get it. I get, I get that rape is a tool. It depends how you use it, because it can set up like character dynamics or like a like a revenge narrative kind of thing, or even just like comment on the general degradation of humans to other humans. There's a lot of ways you can do that, and 
rape can be very effective in doing that. It can also be cheap and easy way to manipulate the audience. Um, and it's really, yeah. I don't know, it's really subjective, right? It's dangerous. Then you get into an area where it can just get real, like, trashy really quickly. Yeah, like Death Wish, you know? Like Death Wish 5. When you're getting into, like, Death Wish yeah. 5 territory or whatever, all those movies are, like, Charles Bronson's girl gets raped and then he murders people with giant pistols. Yeah. Uh, Charles Bronson, <laughs> what a man. Man's, man's, man. Man's, man's, man. You know what I recently watched that I didn't even realize he was in it because I hadn't watched it in so long was The Great Escape. I was about to say, that's one of my favorite movies, and he's ah, in it. I love The Great Escape. Away. It's so good. If we did A Great Escape, would we do it, a, 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 all three of us? Oh, fuck yeah, because the movie's fun, dude. I, can, yeah. I whistle. Whenever I clean like my house, I'll whistle the theme to that movie. God, I fucking love that movie. Dakula. <laughs> the Kula King. Yeah. <laughs> good old, uh, what's his name? I forgot. Dude, uh, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, Richard Steve McQueen. Attenborough's in that, I think. Richard Attenborough, dude, for the longest time, I thought he directed it. He did not direct it. I've, I've, oh. I've given people the wrong information for most oh, of my really? life about it. Yeah, I have no idea who did, but that that movie is full of people. Steve McQueen, James Garner's in that movie. Donald Pleasance is in Donald that movie. Pleasance. He plays the the nebbish little uh, scientist I mean, guy. He ends up going blind. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, we'll have to do so Great good. Escape at some point. We'll have to do... I, I know what I decided as well. I can spoil this for you because Jeff won't get to the end of this episode. He won't listen to this. <laughs> but I've decided that he needs Antichrist in his cinematic lexicon. Oh, shit. So okay. one of my choices is going to be Antichrist coming up. Well, Maybe the we'll next one. We'll get in on a menage a trois for that one. And yeah, yeah. Charlotte Gainsborough and Willem Oh, all right. Let's end this one up. Let's wrap it up. Right. Um, any any last thoughts about uh, Enter the Void? No. Let's exit the void. Let's exit the void. We've we've been two two solid weeks. Sex and death at the edge of the void. Well, uh, maybe it'll be a third time. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing next, just you and me. But we'll figure it out. Thank you all for listening, real weirdos. We shall return, and we'll see you next time. Now our podcast is done And we have to run We know it is sad But we had so much fun Don't be bereft Jesse, Alex, and Jeff We'll be back real soon The Real Weirdos We talk about movies For way too goddamn long Bam, 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 bam